And I'd be shocked. We're not going to know who the Ohio State quarterback is going to be in May. I mean, if you're Ryan Day, why would you? Why would you make that announcement? If anything, you're going to hold off all the way up until fall. If anything, you might even hold up to the first, second game of the season. The second you declare a winner in the quarterback derby, you might very well lose a guy. Hello and welcome in. Today is Monday, March 6th. We hope you're having a wonderful day wherever you're coming to us from, whether you're from vacation, hence my shirt. This show is on tape. I'm sure you're shocked by that. I'm actually currently on Monday, March 6th. I'm actually walking around Disney World, taking the little man to Disney World for the very first time. So I am out of the office, if you will, but I'm wearing a seasonally appropriate shirt for those that are on the YouTube channel just hit the like button just because of the shirt and the shirt of itself I mean that's pretty much all you need to know we have a great show in store for you today we actually have some spring previews and it honestly I've looked at kind of the entire calendar that we have the spring previews coming this is the best collection of teams today the teams that I think collectively might have the best win-loss record amongst all the other days in which we'll be doing spring previews. Today has Florida State, Ohio State, Kentucky, Washington, and Mississippi State. So those are five programs that should, at the very least, find themselves in a bowl game next year, two of which could potentially find themselves in the college football playoff. Which two am I talking about? because I think there are three college football playoff contenders in this collection of teams. And spoiler alert, I do not think why, uh, I do not think that Mississippi State's one of them. No, no disrespect to you, Bulldog fans, but I do think there are three teams on today's breakdown that I would have ranked in the preseason top 10. I think there are two that could find their way into the postseason. So a lot that we need to get to. We're going to break all these teams down. We're going to look at them from a few different angles, tell you something they might want to focus on in the spring to make sure they can put their best foot forward. And we're going to have a bold prediction from a handful of them as well. So let's not waste any additional time. Let's talk about it. All right, today, a few teams getting underway for their spring practices. One in particular, I'm very intrigued by the Florida State Seminoles. What a year they had in 2022. We got to see them up close and personal, not once, but twice. Saw them week one against LSU, saw them against Miami. To see the progress that was made from week one to where they were at the end of the year, remarkable job by Mike Norvell and his staff. It did feel like it was a long time coming. It felt like it was many years in the making. Finally, they had the quarterback. Finally, they had the offensive line. Finally, they upgraded the skill positions around the quarterback, and they had some pieces on defense that could play pretty well at all three levels. It felt like it was a long time coming, and boy, was it worth waiting for. Now, they're in to enter into 2023 with real expectations. How will they handle those expectations? It's one thing to be the hunter. It's another thing to be the hunted, and Florida State is changing from hunter into hunted overnight here as we approach the 2023 campaign. Now, a lot of things to kind of deal with here. The first thing I'm interested in when it comes to Florida State, the transfers. I mean, it's as if Mike Norvell has found, you know, the new lease on life with his ability to attract players in the transfer portal. Now, 
I'm not saying that they were the best in college football this year. As far as the portal's concerned, some people would have other teams at or near the top. You look at 247's portal rankings. I, I think 247 does a phenomenally good job. Really, really good. I love their portal rankings. I think they're probably the most applicable, probably the most accurate. But I, I kind of just take it with a grain of salt. Like I don't go one, two, three, four, like best portal, second best portal, third best portal. I don't really go that way. I look at it, did you get better or get worse by way of the portal? And Florida State, like they did a year ago, appears to have gotten better. We already know some of the people that they brought in a year ago. All right, Trey Benson from Oregon, the running back. Jared Verse, the outstanding defensive end from Albany. The receivers that they were able to bring in with Johnny Wilson and a handful of others. like They got much, much better at wide receiver, defensive end, positions of need in the portal from 2021 to 2022. But then I look at this upcoming year and I look at this spring. How are the new additions going to factor in as far as playing time is concerned? Florida State brings back an awful lot of productivity from last year. A lot of contributors. I mean, all ACC players that are coming back. I already referenced a few of them. Jordan Travis, a quarterback. He's back. Johnny Wilson, wide receiver. He's back. Jamie Robinson, Jermaine Johnson, Trey Benson, Jared Verse. They bring back a handful of guys that were all ACC performers a year ago. But now, how do you complement those returning players with the new additions without disrupting some of the chemistry that was created last year? That's what I want to see. Going into this upcoming season, we already know that they've attracted some big-time difference makers, potentially. How about the corner from Virginia, Ventrell Cypress? The guy's supposed to be the real deal. All ACC a year ago, had 13 PBUs last season. Is he an immediate plug-and-play day one starter? My guess, absolutely. You look at what they also added along the defensive line. Very, very good. They did it last year with Jared Verse. Now Jared Verse has locked down one spot since he decided to return. Well, you bring in Braden Fisk from Western Michigan. The guy had 12 tackles for a loss, six sacks. He's going to be there. Daryl Jackson is transferring over from Miami. Gilbert Edmonds coming over from South Carolina. Those are great defensive line additions. And then, not to be outdone, along the offensive line, you added arguably what might be a day one starter as well. And Jeremiah Byers, he's from UTEP. He might be the guy right there in the middle of the offensive line that could step right in and become an immediate difference maker. That offensive line grew by leaps and bounds last year under Alex Atkins, the offensive line coach and offensive coordinator. He did a phenomenally good job, and you would anticipate that group continuing to grow with a few additional pieces. And then the skill positions are concerned. We know the receivers are spoken for. They're in good shape at wide receiver. Why? Because they went to the portal and added like 10 guys last year. They're in good shape at wide receiver, but what would be nice, what would be a nice addition would be a versatile piece that you can kind of move around and create some matchups with. Well, in comes Jaheim Bell from South Carolina. The guy played multiple positions for the Gamecocks last year, played tight end, played traditional running back, split out at wide receiver. The guy's kind of a jack of all trades. He can do just about anything with the football. He's a phenomenally good and gifted football player. How will Mike Norvell use him? I'm excited to see. <laughs> that might be in the spring game. Where's Jaheim Bell? That's what I want to see. Now, are they going to show us anything? Probably not. He wasn't the only one they added, though, at tight end. They also added Kyle Morlock from Shorter University, who kind of an intriguing piece in and of itself. So I think that that's probably for Florida State this year. Can you handle the hype? 
naturally. That's a huge question mark. We're not going to really learn that in the spring. But now that you have fortified your roster yet again with great impact transfers, how do they factor in without disrupting some of the progress that's already been made? Probably the biggest key for me heading into the spring for the Florida State Seminoles. All right. Bold prediction for Florida State heading into the spring. They will play Clemson twice next year, in the regular season and in the ACC championship. I don't think it's a bold prediction. I really don't. I, I love what Clemson brings back. We've documented that. Clemson's excellent pretty much everywhere with the exception of a place or two that you need to kind of iron out uh, a couple things. But either way, man, Florida State, you look at the pecking order in the ACC right now. Like really, just go down the list. Just down the list from top to bottom. Take Florida State out. Take Clemson out. Tell me how many teams in the ACC are going to be better than they were a year ago. I think Miami will be better, but are they yet getting to the point which they can contend for a championship? Ah, probably not. The Virginia schools, no, not at this point. North NC State, okay, sure, you get Brennan Armstrong, but you also lose Devin Leary, lose a couple pieces on defense. I think NC State will be pretty good. They're always pretty good, but are they championship caliber? Probably not. North Carolina got to the championship last year. I think they were the beneficiary of playing in a division that was very, very up and down. Still got things to sort out on defense. Like North Carolina, but not as much as I like Florida State. Wake's going to be down more than likely. Georgia Tech's going to be up a little bit, but not championship caliber up. So you kind of just go down the list of Duke should be good. Are they a 9-4 team this year? Probably not. You look just all the way down the list. How many teams are really going to be as good on their roster with personnel as Florida State in the ACC? The only one is Clemson. Like Miami's getting there, but I'm not sure they can get there overnight. Look at the gap, by the way, that existed between Miami last year and Florida State last year. That game was complete beatdown. How do I know that? Because I called it. <laughs> so I witnessed it with my own two eyes. Now, Miami's going to look totally different this year. I've I'm cautiously optimistic that they have a bounce back season. But when I say bounce back, I'm thinking like five and seven to seven and five or eight and four. That's kind of where I see Miami falling. I don't see them as 10 and two, which is where I see Florida State at the moment. That essay that you definitely started weeks before the deadline and not the night before might be easier with some late night snacks. DoorDash can help get you the snacks and the energy drinks you need to get you through that all-nighter. Get the back-to-school savings you really want and get unlimited free DoorDash delivery with DashPass. Just $4.99 a month for students. How worth it? So worth it. For a limited time, our listeners can get 50% off up to a $20 value and $0 delivery fees when you download the DoorDash app and enter code ALWAYS. That's 50% off up to a $20 value and $0 delivery fees when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code ALWAYS. Don't forget, that's code ALWAYS for 50% off up to a $20 value and $0 delivery fees with DoorDash. Subject to change, terms apply. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. 
Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Kentucky starts practice today as well. Look, new look Kentucky football team in some ways. Now, what's old is new, right? Liam Cohen returns to lead the offense. Now, Rich Gangarello last year just didn't happen for him. Just could never really get things going. Liam Cohen, of course, was at the Los Angeles Rams last year, but the year prior to that, he was doing great things with Will Levis and company for the Kentucky Wildcats. But here's the issue, and here's what we need to figure out in the spring for Kentucky. One, we can talk about Levis and his inconsistencies. We can talk about some of the inconsistencies defensively. We can talk about some of the issues that they had being consistent. Fine. Okay. Let me tell you what the biggest difference was between last year's Kentucky and the Kentucky that we've seen for the last handful of years. It wasn't the quarterback. It wasn't the running backs. It wasn't the defense. It was the offensive line. And look, Eric Wolford was the offensive line coach. He's now the offensive line coach at Alabama. Not to say that he was a huge reason why they were up and down, but his absence was clearly felt. Now, if the offensive line doesn't get better, and I'm talking exponentially better from what they were last year, Kentucky's going to struggle to get back to the eight, seven, nine win plateau. They're going to struggle to get there. And they could. Want to know why? Because they have excellent wide receivers. Love their wideouts. I think their quarterback situation's great. Devin Leary, if he can stay healthy, is a dude. But here's the problem with Devin Leary. He hasn't been healthy all the time. And you put him behind a leaky offensive line, that's not exactly a quality recipe. Now, they've done a pretty good job. They went out. They added an excellent running back. Ray Davis at Vanderbilt is a real, real threat to be one of the better running backs in the SEC. Now, he was at Vanderbilt, and he went for 3,000 career yards. That's not easy to do. You look at how they also seem to have upgraded their offensive line with impact additions via the portal as well. Marcus Cox from Northern Illinois, he was a 33-game starter for the Huskies over the last handful of years. And they added Tanner Bowles from Alabama, who when coming out was a four-star recruit. Now, is he still a four-star recruit? I, I don't know the answer to that. But they clearly acknowledged that last year's group along the offensive line, less than stellar by Kentucky standards. They have got to get that group playing collectively the way they did more in 2021 and 2020 than they did at any point in 2022. If they don't, they're going to continue to struggle. So that's the one thing for me for Kentucky that needs to get addressed and get addressed immediately. Offensive line and what can Liam Cohen, the new offensive coordinator slash old offensive coordinator, what can he do to take some of the pressure off that group that Rich Gangarello just couldn't quite get done last year? They have excellent wideouts, they had excellent quarterback, defense should be pretty good at all three levels, but the offensive line in a line of scrimmage league, you better not be a liability. And right now, it's hard for me to tell you with certainty they won't be. Washington Huskies also getting underway on March the 6th. We talked a second ago about Florida State. I think Washington has a better chance of getting to the college football playoff than Florida State. Why? Because I look at the Pac-12 and I think it's more gettable than the ACC. 
Just saying. I think it's more gettable than the AC. I think the ACC is pretty good. I think the Pac-12, pretty good, especially with the quarterback situations. But tell me a team in the Pac-12 right now that returns as much as the Washington Huskies. All right, they bring back a bunch of high-quality pieces offensively. You bring back Michael Penix, who is, I think, only going to get more comfortable as he continues to dive in to Kalen DeBoer's offense. They're going to be really good offensively. Uh, they were really good last year offensively. That should go without saying. We know they're going to be really good along the line of scrimmage defensively. We know they have a couple of edge rushers that are legit, that can flat out pin their ears back and make life difficult for the opposing quarterback. Here's the problem. Their secondary was an issue. They were 111th nationally in pass efficiency defense, and they had the fewest PBUs in the Power Five. Now, what are they going to do to get back to being somewhat decent at that position? I don't know. That is on Kalen DeBoer and his staff here in the spring. That needs to be an all-points bulletin. How do we improve this group from where they were a year ago? The good news is there's really only one direction to go, and that's up. Because 111 is not ideal. I acknowledge very much that they played with the lead an awful lot. I acknowledge very much the teams got into pass-happy situations, but either way, they carved them up. Not what you're looking for. So what did you do? You go out, you had Jabbar Muhammad from Oklahoma State, a guy that should be able to lock down one of the cornerback spots in the spring. You go to the JUCO ranks, you bring in Thaddeus Dixon. He should get a pretty good situation, plenty of reps in the spring to potentially establish himself as an everyday starter as well. So you get two guys that might immediately improve that group collectively, but you still have to iron out a few other spots. The best news for the Washington Huskies and their secondary, the group that you're going to face every day in spring practice, you're not going to see many groups that are more potent than that. If you can practice against the best, you're probably going to get better. Well, guess what? You're practicing against the best that the Pac-12 has to offer. With all due respect to SC, with all due respect to Utah, with all due respect to Oregon, I'm not sure there's a passing attack that is more capable in the Pac-12, or nationally for that matter, than Washington's passing attack. And that secondary, they're going to be facing some serious heat in the spring with the type of pressure that, that passing attack can apply. So I think that that group, that would be the sole focus if I'm killing DeBoer heading into spring practice. First time spring practice for Zach Arnett and Mississippi State. Of course, tragedy here in the offseason for the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Hate that we've lost Mike Leach way too soon. Just a tragic circumstance, difficult circumstance for Zach Arnett to step into. I think the biggest thing for him is to get guys to buy into who he is and more specifically the offensive guys to buy in to who he is. Because if you look at the way these transitions occasionally happen, if a guy retires or if a guy steps away and they promote a coordinator from within, he knows the defensive guys. He knows the defensive personnel like the back of his hand. That won't be an issue whatsoever. But I can tell you this, that was an air raid system, obviously, under Mike Leach. They decided to go away from that direction, which was not met, not welcomed, 
by some of the guys that were on the offensive side of the ball. As a result, there were a handful of guys that decided to enter the transfer portal, guys that decided to go elsewhere. Not saying that that's a bad thing. It's to be expected. Anytime there's transition, it's to be expected that some guys will go. And more often than not, if a defensive coordinator decides to change what they've done and had success with offensively, it's understandable that that number will only increase. Now you're able to hold on to a few different, few decent pieces that obviously are going to be very important. But when you made the decision to go to Kevin Barbe from Appalachian State, it proves that the direction that they're going to go is going to be off tackle stretch zone as opposed to the drop back short passing attack that Will Rogers and company used so successfully the last couple of years. You're going to say successfully. The offense was pretty dang efficient for the most part. Now, you saw him also start to lean a little bit more on the run last year. I don't think I ever remembered seeing a Mike Leach-led team running the ball as often as they did last year. Well, now that run numbers, those run opportunities are going to double, maybe triple under Kevin Barbe. How will this work? That's what I'm most intrigued by. It's been an offensive line that's really lived in pass protection. It's been an offensive line that has lived in two-point stances. Well, Appalachian State, yeah, you'll see some two-point stances, but you're going to see some guys firing off the ball. You're going to see guys cut blocking. You're going to do all these different things offensively that you have not done in the past. That is number one for Zach Arnett. Get to know the offensive personnel, endear himself to the offensive players, and install a new offense. He's got a lot on his plate here over the course of the next 15 practices. And knowing that you're basically completely changing, completely changing the identity of what's been successful is probably going to be met with a little bit of resistance. Not the end of the world. You were able to retain to Lou Griffin after he spent five days in the portal. You did lose Rob Roth Thomas. You lost a couple other guys, but either way, you're in a pretty good position, I think, heading into the season with a veteran quarterback and an offensive philosophy that has been successful in the SEC in the past. Missouri does something very similar under Eli Drinkwitz to what Kevin Barbe is going to bring to Mississippi State. I think it's one that can find success. I think they have pretty solid running backs that they can lean on. I think they should be in a good position as they transition here into 2023. So establish the offensive identity, install the offense, make sure the offensive line can handle the offense that they're going to want to run. And then of course, for Zach Arnett to get to know his offense players, that's going to be huge as well. Finally, last but not least here, teams that are getting underway here in the next couple of days, the Ohio State Buckeyes, they get going tomorrow, March 7th. The Ohio State Buckeyes are taking the field with a national championship aspirations yet again. When have you heard that before? How about every single year? This year, there are a few significant question marks for me. Last year, it was all about the defense, right? It was all about how could they improve on that side of the ball. That was 2022 in a nutshell. Can Jim Knowles install his defense? Do they have the personnel to take over the game along the defensive line? Are they going to be better in the secondary? Those questions, I feel like over the course of last year, were answered. And I actually don't have many questions with Ohio State defensively heading into this upcoming season, or in particular, this upcoming spring football. The questions for Ohio State this 
offseason really almost entirely reside on the offensive side, which is odd because I don't remember the last time I've had legitimate question marks about the offense. Even as they've undergone transition at quarterback, whether it be from JT Barrett to Cardale Jones, back to JT Barrett, to Dwayne Haskins, to uh, Justin Fields, to you know, uh, CJ Stroud. I've just never been concerned about the quarterback situation. And guess what? Here in 2023, I'm not concerned either. You look at the offense itself and just how it's so well manufactured to create opportunities for the quarterback position. Like they are so well positioned. Ryan Day makes it so easy on his quarterback. And as a result, Tell me the last time the quarterback at Ohio State has been a liability. You can't remember because I can't either. 30 years, maybe? I don't remember the last time I was worried about an Ohio State quarterback, and I'm not going to start in 2023. I don't care who it is. It can be Kyle McCord, or it can be Devin Brown. I really don't care. Whoever is under center for the Buckeyes next year is going to be really good. I feel very confident about that. Now, have I garnered that based on high school tape for Devin Brown? No. Did I pick that up by watching the 58 pass attempts that Kyle McCord's had in his career? No. I, no, I watched them. <laughs> I, I checked them out. Yeah, they're pretty good, right? Guys completed you know 70% of his passes. Pretty good starting point, granted not necessarily against the top-level competition and not necessarily when it was a gotta-have-it, game-on-the-line type of situation. But the guy's been really efficient in his career. He averages over 10 yards of attempt as a backup. Pretty good situation. 606 career passing yards, 58 career attempts, 12 career games played. I'm not worried about it. And then for Devin Brown, look, he's never attempted a pass in his college career. Last I checked, unless C.J. Stroud had a snap or two in 2020, he didn't have a lot of experience when he took over as the starter two years ago. Didn't slow him down. The guy ended up throwing for, what, 85 career touchdowns over the course of two seasons? I think they're going to be just fine. Devin Brown was a highly regarded player coming out of high school. Threw for 85 touchdowns in his 31-game high school career. And... If you look at what people were saying about Devin Brown in the open for availability media sessions leading up to the Peach Bowl, people were saying he's lighting it up. People I talked to say he's the real deal. And it's going to be one heck of a competition throughout the course of the spring. And I'd be shocked. We're not going to know who the Ohio State quarterback is going to be in May. I mean, if you're Ryan Day, why would you? Why would you make that announcement? If anything, you're going to hold off all the way up until fall. If anything, you might even hold up to the first, second game of the season. The second you declare a winner in the quarterback derby, you might very well lose a guy. So take this thing as long as you absolutely have to. But guess what? I'm not worried about the quarterback situation. I'm also not worried about the running game. I think the biggest thing that they need to do with the running game and the running backs in particular, stay healthy. Like we know that they got some guys. I mean, the team as a whole last year averaged nearly five and a half yards of carry. It was 11th best in the country. That's with a quarterback that wasn't exactly you know, a super mobile option. 
But the problem is, I mean, felt like they were never at full strength. Whether it was Henderson or Mayan Williams or, you know, or Chip Trainum, whoever it was, Dallin Hayden, just felt like they were never fully available. Well, now heading into this spring, I think Tony Alford's going to have to make sure all those guys get healthy and he's got to figure out what is the carousel going to look like at the running back spot. I think that's the number one thing. What's the pecking order going to be? Because everyone talked about going into last season. Hey, Anderson's a Heisman candidate. Well, Maya Williams might've been the best back for the team last year. Who's going to be the best back for the team this upcoming year, especially as they're breaking in a new quarterback. And then let's move to the position that I'm most concerned about for Ohio state. You guys have heard me talk about this in the past. Like I've watched Ohio state's offensive line for years, years. And they have guys that look like they were etched out of marble at tackle almost annually. Same thing that it was last year. Guys that look incredible getting off the bus. But for whatever reason, they were just a little bit up and down. And I always felt like they looked better than they played. And that always kind of frustrated me to begin with. Really did. Really kind of frustrated me from time to time. But if you look at the guys they had to replace, I mean, they did have two very capable tackles that are going to be playing probably for quite a while in the NFL. And they also had a center that was very effective in communication and very effective athletically. And when Luke Whipple decided to go to the NFL, I think that caught everyone at Ohio State by surprise. I'm not sure anyone kind of saw that coming. So what they have to do, they had to go immediately to the transfer portal, go pick up Victor Cutler, who's likely going to be plugged in at least throughout the spring as his competition is going to be nursing an injury, does feel like he's going to get a ton of reps with the number ones. You also got to figure out who your tackles are going to be. Now, it's likely that Josh Fryer is going to be one of those guys. He served and had started a few games last year at right tackle. Does he flip to left? Does he stay at right? Did they bring someone else on at left? That's what they got to figure out. And you have 15 practices throughout the spring to tinker with your offensive line. It really doesn't matter at this point. You don't have to be established. You're my left tackle. You're my left guard. You're my center and so on and so forth. Like, Figure out who your best five are. Roll them and figure out who's got chemistry with each other. And then when we get closer to fall and when we're really in the heat of fall camp, then you try, you, then you try your very best to figure out, all right, here's our best five. Here's how we're going to go out so they can develop continuity over the course of their 15 fall practices. So I think get as many guys reps as you possibly can here in the spring, figure out who your best five are, and then in the fall, you lock them in to whatever position they're going to play. That would be my biggest concern and my number one priority if I were Ryan Day heading into this spring. All right, bold prediction for Ohio State heading into spring is that they will miss a New Year's Six and the playoff for the first time since the playoff started in 2014. That's bold, and I don't agree with it at all. <laughs> I just don't. I can't even come close. Like, I'm looking through and just reading about their depth chart, checking out their depth chart, knowing that I called games of theirs last year, multiple games of theirs last year, and kind of just seeing the pieces that they bring back. They were a relatively young team last year. Okay, you lose your quarterback. Difficult to replace the quarterback always. But like I said earlier, that has not been a position that has been problematic for Ryan Day ever in his career. Doesn't matter who it's going to be. They're going to be just fine at quarterback. Now, offensive line, 
little bit more of a concern. But like I told you last year, like I thought their O-line was okay last year. They weren't great. They were fine. Are the guys that are at tackle going to be impossible to replace? Absolutely not. I think they're replaceable. I think they look the part. Not going to be as intimidating getting off the bus. But I think they're replaceable. Now, is center a problem? Yeah, it's a problem. But I think they'll be okay. I mean, they addressed the problem. They went out, they acknowledged, hey, we have a hole there. Let's go get some competition. And you can rep a few guys throughout the course of spring. You can cross-train guys at guard and center. If that's the time to do it in the spring. So offensively, they're going to be fine. And look at how much they improved in year number one under Jim Knowles. Now, they're not the 85 Bears. Not yet. But they're making strides and they're getting better. So I am not at all concerned about what Ohio State brings back. I think they'll be in the playoff. I think at worst, they'll be in the New Year's Six. But either way, I think Ohio State actually has a chance in some ways to be slightly better than they were at certain positions just last year. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, we appreciate all of you sending in questions to the mailbag. We're continuing to get to those a little at a time. Keep sending them in. Always college football at gmail.com. So keep sending in your mailbag questions. We are getting to them. I promise you they're on a long list and we will get to your questions at a future episode. But Coops, we got some today. What are we going to? All right. First question comes from Bob in New York. Said, I'm an old Notre Dame fan and have noticed, at least to me, that some of the college football media like to try to take down Notre Dame when they can. See the Andy Ludwig coverage. Does Notre Dame not being in a conference hurt them with the national perception from fans and the media? No. Their conference affiliation, I don't think, has anything to do with the type of coverage they receive. Now, acknowledge this. Their lack of conference affiliation does make them polarizing. Why? Because they're the only team in the entire country that gets to do things on their own terms. A lot of people are kind of jealous of that. A lot of people don't understand why Notre Dame and their athletic director, why does he have an equal seat at the table alongside 10 college football commissioners? So I think that Notre Dame is the most polarizing program in the country. You either love them or you hate them. There is no in-between. When you think about Notre Dame, nobody looks at Notre Dame's like, yeah, I'm okay with them. It's either like, man, I really respect Notre Dame or man, I can't stand Notre Dame. It's one side or the other. And part of it, I think too, look, they have a long storied history 
They have a national brand, international brand, if you want to extend beyond. I mean, they play games internationally and will continue to do so. So I think Notre Dame, they don't necessarily, the reason why they received negativity as far as the Andy Ludwig coverage is because it gave off the perception. I'm not saying it's accurate. I'm saying it was a perception that they weren't willing to spend $2 million to hire the guy that they really preferred. That's a bad perception to have. Now, whether that's accurate or inaccurate, it could have been anybody. It could have been Ole Miss. It could have been Cal. It could have been Florida State. It didn't matter. I mean, if if you give off the perception that you, hey, this is our guy. This is our coordinator. We want him. You roll out the red carpet as you're whining and dining him. And then all of a sudden, it comes time to put pen to paper and now, all of a sudden, the buyout is prohibitive. Like, it didn't matter. That could have been any school. And people are going to say, really? $2 million? You can't, you can't overcome that to hire the guy that you really want as your coordinator? So I, I don't think they get unfair coverage. But they certainly get an appropriate amount of coverage, given how much they move the needle. You should just take the line that Jerry Jones always use. All pub is good pub. I don't necessarily agree with that, but if I'm Notre Dame, it's coming anyways. You might as well just be comfortable with it. All right. Next question comes from Cam in Kentucky. It says, I've heard you say before that coaching in the NFL is much easier than coaching in college. With so much change happening in the college game, do you foresee any issues with elite coaches just not wanting to work in the college, in the college game in the future? Yes. I think we are going to continue to hemorrhage great coaches to the NFL. We meaning college football. Because right now, let's just be real. Let's just go through the calendar for a college football coach, a position coach. Let's say you're the running backs coach at Tennessee. Okay. January, you're on the road recruiting. February, you're at home but can still have recruits. March, spring ball. April, spring ball. May, you get a little bit of time off. But guess what? Guys can still come in on recruiting. June, recruiting. July, recruiting. August, September, October, November, December. You're not only coaching your team, but you're also recruiting. That's your calendar. And then how about this? You're having to keep your guys happy with their NIL situation, which in the NFL, guess who's in charge of your quote NIL? The front office. The coaches aren't dealing with that. The front office is handling all contract situations. So you can, in the NFL, if you're the running backs coach of the Denver Broncos, you can say, hey, yeah, you don't like your contract situation, take it up with the guys upstairs. Like, I'm here to coach you so we can win games on Sunday. So you're really on the clock almost all the time, and you have to wear so many different hats in the college game. Like, you have to be GM, you have to be personnel, you have to be recruiter, you have to be scout, you have to be draft, you know, you know, draft analyst, if you will. Like, you have to wear all those hats as a college football head coach, in addition to just coaching your position. Whereas in the NFL, it's all about the ball. 
you in January, you're off. February, you're off. March, you have to go to a couple pro days. You have a couple draft meetings. No big deal. April, you're preparing for the draft with OTAs. May, you have OTAs. June, you have a couple OTAs before you let out the middle of June. You have five weeks off before you report to camp at the end of July. I mean, it's a pretty cush schedule in the NFL. And that's why you're seeing more and more coaches flocking to that level if the opportunity presents itself. All right. And Rick in Texas, do you think the 12-team playoff decreases the significance of regular season games? Yes. Because now you have more opportunities to shoot yourself in the foot and yet still have an opportunity to make the college football playoff. Absolutely, it, it weakens the regular season. Now, it doesn't weaken the regular season for everybody. Hear me when I say that. Because now, if you're a team that perennially is looking at a 9-3, and three, maybe a 10-2, and two, then you're within striking distance of the college football playoff. But if you're a team like Ohio State, where 11-1 is a birthright, a team like Alabama, where people would lose their mind if they finished 10-2, and two, a team like Georgia, where you're 11-1, 10-2, a team like Clemson, where you're 11-1, 10-2, if your team's like that, it weakens the regular season. You cannot deny that. Because now, if you're Ohio State and you have great personnel and you have great talent, it's like, well, if we lose three games, so be it. It's all good. We'll still get in and we'll see what we do with it. So it does. It gives teams less of a do-or-die approach to the regular season. There's no denying that. It does. So it's okay. It's, it's not the end of the world because more teams now have a chance. So if you're a fan of the Super Blue Bloods that are always in the playoff mix... The regular season definitely takes a bit of a step back. But if you're a team that's down here hovering around nine and three, eight and four, ten and two, and you're trying to elevate up, you're trying to cycle up and to get within those twelve rankings so that you can make the playoff, then the regular season now obviously gets more important because you're actually playing for something at the very end, outside of a bowl assignment. Playoff berth for some teams will be a massive achievement. And frankly, that entry point into the playoff has always existed, but it felt like it was impossible for so many different programs. Now, it feels possible. So it depends on which teams you pull for. It's going to water down the regular season for some, but for most, it's going to give you access to a playoff and an opportunity to kind of play your way into a championship, much like it did last year with the DCU Horn Frogs. All right, thanks for being with us. We really appreciate you being with us here at Always College Football. Please like, rate, and subscribe, and continue to send in your mailbag questions at alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. We see them. We're getting to them three today. We'll try to get to more here in a couple days as well, and we'll get to your question at some point, assuming it's a good question, in a future episode. By the way, all questions are good questions, so even if it's a bad question, we'll still answer it. All right, <laughs> I promise you. Just send it in. I promise you we will get to it. For all of us here at Always College Football, Jack Foster, Mark Kubiak, I'm Greg McElroy. Hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's always college football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcast. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. 
Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.